0: Well, welcome, everyone. hope we're all doing well. I'm beginning today's talk in the wilderness of Judea. And there, moving from town to town, between mountains, forests, and caves, is David and his men on the run from King Saul. And David, he was actually, he was actually King Saul's son-in-law. And he'd shot to fame as a teenager when he defeated the Philistine champion, Goliath, And later Saul had made him captain of his bodyguard and had even married him to his own daughter. David was brave, loyal, fearless, but Saul had grown jealous of him. And God having said that David would be the next king, Saul now sought to kill him. And so over the next few years, David found himself on the run from his family, from his home, on the run from Saul, his army, and his assassins, evading capture time after time with God's help. But with each escape, it was as if the options for David were getting smaller and smaller and smaller as Saul increasingly closed him in and removed his ways out and got closer and closer and closer. And then on one occasion, we read this in 1 Samuel 24, it says, after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. <laughs> I don't know how they claim those rocks, but there we go. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened... David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. So now David, after years on the run, suddenly finds Saul alone and at his mercy in front of him and all his men. "'Now is your opportunity,' David's men whispered to him. "'Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish.'" So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. And so David makes this choice in this moment to the surprise of everyone to spare Saul's life. He could have taken the kingship in this moment in his hand with his sword, but he chooses not to take it through murder, not to respond to evil with evil, but to trust God with his future and to do what is right, to act with integrity. And even though Saul was in the wrong, David knew that in this moment, it was not his place to deal with Saul, to take it in his own hands, and certainly not like this, to stab him in the back, literally to betray him behind his back. But David was a man of honor. If he was going to confront Saul, he would do it in the right way, face to face. And this is what we see next. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out And shouted after him, My Lord, the King. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared your life. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It's a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. And this proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I've not sins against you, even though you've been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. And so David's actions here, right in front of his men and in front of Saul's men, these 3,000 elite troops who'd come from all over Israel, from all different tribes, in front of them, he laid the foundations for his future as king. What he did was counterintuitive. It's probably against the advice of any army commander in the moment but he made this choice and it laid the foundation for his future because Saul had been traveling around Israel spreading lies, spreading these lies that David had betrayed him and David was out to kill him and David was out to harm him. And if David had killed Saul in this moment, he would have justified Saul's lies and his falsehoods. He would have made it look as if they were true. And, uh, and everyone would have thought that David was in the wrong But instead, David doesn't stoop to Saul's level, and it exposes Saul's lies, and it proves that David was a man of honor and someone that everyone could get behind. And this was crucial because Israel was made up of 12 tribes, and for them to be unified, they would all have to get behind the king. And so David proved that he was someone that everyone could get behind, even Saul's own tribe could get behind him. So we see this next. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. And now I realize that you surely are going to be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. And so David makes this crucial choice under pressure. He chooses courage over compromise, He acts loyally and wisely. But how did David know what to do in this moment when all his men are saying one thing and whispering in your ear, now is your opportunity, go for it. I'm sure it was very tempting to just go for it. But David's conscience and his character said differently. That's a word from last week, conscience. How did David know as well that instead of killing Saul but letting him go, the man who was out to get him how did he know that he could trust God to rescue him from Saul? As he said, God will rescue me from your power. How did he know? How did he know what to do? Well, David was famous for his worship and his prayer. He wrote um, many of the Psalms. And Psalm 139, which we looked at a few weeks ago, about how God is close. That's one of, um, of the Psalms attributed to David. But in the Psalms as well, we see another key to how David lived in God's presence. In Psalm 56, he says this, Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long and their pride, many are attacking me. But when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. I praise God for his word. I trust God, so I'm not afraid. And in Psalm 40." Reflecting back, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walk along. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. And so here we see how David had taken God's word to heart. He had spent time hearing, reading, remembering, retelling the promises of God, the instructions that God had given, the stories of God's rescue and the stories of God's character. And God's word had shaped him as he read, as he heard, as he listened, as he remembered, as he retold. They'd shaped him and now he was living out of it and putting it into action. And perhaps in this moment, David had remembered God's promises to people in the past. People like Abraham, that he would have a son. Or people like Jacob, that God would bless him and make him fruitful. And how sometimes these characters, rather than trusting God and following it in God's way and seeing God fill that promise in their life, they had seen a shortcut and they had taken it for themselves in a wrong way. Like uh, Abraham and Ishmael or Jacob, when he deceived his father and stole his own brother's blessing... And how that led to problems and discord and and destruction. And God is so faithful, he rescued them anyway and brought about his promises anyway. But perhaps David was remembering the shortcuts that people in the past had taken. And now Saul was in front of him and he could do the same and he could take it for himself in his own strength. But he said, no, this is not the right way. I trust God to rescue me because I know his word and his instructions are written on my heart. And so in doing so, in this moment, David put into practice what a thousand years later Jesus would call us his followers to do, and which beaky, beak, beak, and feathers illustrated for us already this morning, where Jesus says this. One day he turned to the crowd and he said, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? But I will show you what it looks like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, And follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. And so today, as we carry on our series, talking about in his presence as how we can experience and know and walk in God's presence in our lives. A key takeaway for us today is that walking in God's presence involves reading or hearing God speak to us through the Bible, getting to know him and his character, his promises, his ways, and then putting it into practice. And as we do that, we will discover the wisdom, the joy, the freedom that comes through it, like laying a solid foundation for our lives. In Psalm 119, it says, As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. Or as Jesus said, Whoever comes to me, listens to my teaching, and puts it into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And I love how Jesus says, Whoever comes to me first... It's all about that relationship. We come to him, then we listen. We put it into practice with him. So I've got just a couple of thoughts for us today about how we can find and walk in God's presence through discovering his character and his ways in the Bible. So I'm just going to share two briefly with you. But first of all, if you're like brand new to the Bible and you're thinking, well, what is the Bible? And it's like brand new, too. I'm not going to do like a, well, what is the Bible talk today, because um, it will take a while. And also, there's a great video. (laughs) If you go to YouTube, go to the Bible Project, they do a fantastic series on what is the Bible and how to read the Bible, and these short animated explainer videos, and they're really good. And they will explain that in four minutes, but it will take me the rest of the talk. So I'll put a link in our YouTube, or just, you can find that on YouTube, and it's really, really good. Okay. But firstly, number one, the Bible is relational and accessing it will help us grow in our walk with God, in our relationship with him and experiencing his life-giving presence in our lives. When we come to the Bible, we're not coming to like a textbook to learn like facts or information, but we're coming to a person God is a living God, and we can hear from him in a real way. In Hebrews 4, it says, The word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than the sharpest two edged sword, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God is a living God, and his presence fills the word. He is in it. And it's one of the primary ways that God himself has chosen to speak to us, to reveal his welcome his desire for relationship with us, and his rescue of humanity and the world through Jesus. And the Bible is both human and divine. The Bible was written by people. It didn't just drop out of heaven one day. It was written by people. Um, but it's also inspired by God, and it reflects the relationship and the partnership that God desires with people, that we do life together together. In 2 Timothy it says, All scripture is God, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. Another way of saying this is, all scripture is God breathed. And when we read it, we encounter God behind it. We can get to hear his voice for ourselves, grow in our relationship with him. God communicates it through it to us today in a real way. And this was my experience. with reading the Bible and how God became real to me for myself as a person. I grew up as a part of this church back in the days when it was planted over in Penland from you know, one community center to another and then in the building that we were there. And I grew up part of this church and going along. I believed in God, I was following Jesus from a young age. I'd seen miracles, I'd seen answers to prayer. I knew God was real. But then when I was a teenager, I remember around like 14 or so, and just going through the standard teenagery, figuring out life and you know the ups and downs of school and all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of at an age where you're making choices for yourself and all that kind of thing. I remember one day saying to my mum in the car as we were as she was driving along, as <laughs> say as we were driving, she was driving. I remember saying to her, I know God is real in my head, but it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel real. And then I was questioning, and I was kind of struggling, different things. Anyway, not long after that, I had this spiritual encounter, which is a bit of a wake-up call, which for sake, I've shared it before. I won't share it now for the sake of time. But after that, I began to decide to read the Bible for myself. And uh, I actually did to help me to get to sleep because I was struggling to get to sleep. So I decided to read the Bible for myself. So every night before I go to bed, I just began to read the stories of Jesus' life I had like an easy-to-read version called the message version because I didn't really like reading that much back then as a teenager. And I would just read one chapter a night before going to bed, starting with Jesus' life. But as I began to do that day after day, who Jesus is and what he said and what he did, it just came alive to me. It came alive to me in a whole new way that I hadn't experienced before. And it was as if Jesus was speaking to me, and I was getting to know him, just like I'm speaking to you now. Or if I went to coffee with you, and we sat down, and I shared my story, and you shared your story, and I was listening to you. It was just like that, as if Jesus was right there, just speaking to me, him as a person. And the way that Jesus called people, and spoke into people's lives, and called them to follow him, I realized that that included me as well. That that included me. And it was As if he was saying to me, you know, I could be a part of what God was doing in the world. I could be a part of this story. And everything he said to his followers, he was saying to me as well. And he was inviting me to follow him. And honestly, it began to be the highlight of my day. I began to look forward to reading it. I still only read like a chapter a night. Because I was like in that kind of, you know, I could have read more. I could have read it earlier. But I still was in that little routine. But it began to be my highlight of the day. And I began to look forward to it. And God came alive to me in in an amazing way. And when we read or listen to the Bible for ourselves, it enables us to meet with God and to know him for ourselves. Now, we can pick up ideas about God and who God is from all kinds of places, from things we pick up in our culture, from things on TV, from films, from what other people have said, from that one RE lesson we remember from school. But the danger is is that we can end up with an idea of God based on things in our own imagination. And it may or may not reflect who God really is. But it's a picture that's been created on our own minds from bits and pieces that we've picked up. But when we meet God in the Bible, we give him the opportunity to reveal himself to us in his own words and who he really is. And this is the second thing with getting into the Bible is that the Bible shapes us. 2 Timothy says, All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, but over the last few years, I keep getting these moments where I say something or I do something or I'm even just the way I'm standing and I realize, oh my goodness, I'm turning into my dad. I don't know anyone else has had this in their own life before. So I've been thinking, so even just the other day, I was standing over here in the meeting, and I was like standing in a particular way, and I looked over, and my dad was standing in exactly the same way, with almost exactly the same shirt and jeans and clothes on as well. And I was chatting to Precious about this, and she was telling me what she was saying. how when we first got married and I moved in, when I'd be cooking, that... Um, you know, when I, was, when I would be cooking, I would utilize all the utensils available. You know, every pot and pan in that kitchen is, get, is getting used. If anyone else, cook like this, okay? Everything's got its own one, and, you know, it's all nice and spread out. And she's been retraining me over the last two years to, you know, clean as I go and to be more frugal in my pots and pan selection and, you know, more disciplined in that. But anyway, she, she, she found it hilarious. So anyway, then one time we went over to my parents' house, for a meal and my dad had been cooking and uh, she saw the, ki- the kitchen <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the number of, you know, things around. She's like, that's where you get it from. <laughs> so, Dad, if you needs help, I would send pressures over. She's been retraining me anyway. Now, <laughs> that's just two. I had, all, I had a long list, okay? So, <laughs> but when I look back over the years and, you know, we all have people who have influenced influenced or shaped us in different ways, when I look back over the years at how my dad has shaped me, there's a few standout moments where maybe my dad had given me specific instructions about something or spoken to my life, you know, in a specific ways. So I remember once, for example, uh, playing, there's be, there was this football tournament and I'd been looking forward to it for weeks and, uh, you know, it was going to be all day down at the Old Morva and I was really excited. And then, like in the first, literally, like in the first two minutes of the first match, I got injured, and I had to go to A and E. And it was fine in the end. But you know what it's like when you're a kid. You know, you have to make sure whatever. And I was so, I was so disappointed. You know, I was so, you know, what are like 12 or something. I was so gutted. I remember my dad. You know, chatted to me in the car on the way home and. You know, explain, you know, this is, it's not really what you want to hear at 12, but, you know, know, this is, you know, character building and, you know, and learning to handle disappointment. And I can still remember the chat now, and it's been really helpful supporting Wales over the years to learn at a young age how to handle disappointment. But, you know, I can remember a few specific moments and things like that. But mostly, when I look back, you know, everything just kind of blurs into one Um, but just spending time with my dad over the years you know I've got to know him the person that he is the things that he stands for the things that he likes and now as a man I can see looking back how some of those things have shaped me as a person and I'm sure that we all have relationships like that don't we where you know a close friend or a colleague or a family member someone we spend a lot of time with how they begin to shape us and influence in different ways and in a similar way When we come to the Bible, sometimes it speaks to us in a very clear and distinct and obvious way, and we can just, you know, like that, chat in the car with my dad. So in Ephesians 4, for example, you might be reading through Paul's letters, you might come across this verse, be kind and tender-hearted to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And when we read that or hear that, you know, it speaks into our lives in in an obvious way, and maybe it challenges us or encourages us to put something into action. And as we seek to follow Jesus and you know, His call on our lives and to live more like Him and bring the goodness of God and His love into the world, we might read something like think, okay, Holy Spirit, help me to put this into action. Help me to, you know, to forgive that person. Help me to be tenderhearted. And we go out and we do it. And as we take steps, the Holy Spirit empowers us. And we it's you know, specific and is clear and we know what it is. But then alongside that, More generally, as we just engage with the Bible regularly, as we listen to it or read it, as we think about it, as we ask questions and discuss together, as we seek to put it into practice step by step with God's help, the character and the heart of God is revealed in the pages, and it begins to shape us. It begins to shape our hearts and transform us from the inside out just like when we're spending quality time with a person and it begins to shape our lives. As we allow his presence and voice into our lives, it shapes our heart from the inside out. In Romans 12, it says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And we find that we begin to see the world around us our situations, our friends, our families, our work life, our challenges, our hopes and dreams with Jesus' perspective. We get his perspective on the things that we do every day. And this is what we saw with David when he was in that cave and he was confronted with King Saul. He saw it from a different perspective. And the key then for what David did and what we do is he put it into practice. And we do the same, that we put it into practice, that we act on it. And as we do, we find that we begin to walk in God's presence in our day-to-day lives, and we see the fruit of it. Jesus, oh that's David. Jesus said this just before he went to the cross. He said to his followers, and he says it to us as well: he said, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you, cannot produ- and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be done for you. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So let's be encouraged to get into the Bible To hear God's heart for our lives, to get to know Him for ourselves, and to see the influence and the shape it takes in our lives, and the fruit that God produces through us as we follow Him in our lives each day. So, finally, some little tips to take away with us uh, with reading the Bible. So, first of all, here we go. If you're if you're new to the Bible. Or maybe you think, you know what, I do need to get back into it. I've got out of kind of a rhythm of getting into the Bible. Then a great place to start is Jesus' life and the stories of Jesus' life. Luke, uh, the book of Luke, is a great one to start with. And then when you finish that, if you go on to Acts, you'll read the story of Jesus' life. And then the very first church and the first Christians and how it spread around the world. That's a great place to start. Or if you haven't got a Bible and you're here today, then we've got these... um, These are are John's Gospels. This is one of the books of the Bible. It's one of the accounts, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life by John. And uh, it's like an Imagine Heaven edition. So it's got little details about the Imagine Heaven course uh, on the front and at the end as well. So if you haven't got a Bible and you're here today, you could take one of these with you and this would be a great place to start. Or if you're thinking of inviting someone to Imagine Heaven and you want something to give to them, then take one of these with you as well because it's got the information in there and you can hand that onto them, or if you want to as well, you could just simply download the Bible app, which is free, and, uh, and the great thing about the Bible app as well is it's got the audio Bible on, so I know a lot of people, they, you know, they, maybe they don't really enjoy reading, or, uh, but they enjoy listening to the Bible, and they find that's really helpful to them, or some people have told me they like to listen and read along at the same time, so if that works for you, then go for it. You know, but some people, I know they like to put it on when they're in the car or when they're making dinner or when they're out and about, and that helps them. A little tip, if you're downloading the Bible app, is to choose a translation that's, you know, easy to read. Because the Bible's been translated into English, obviously, over the years. Some of them are, you know, in older English. Some of them are in newer English. So if you're brand new to the Bible, you're reading it for the first time, there's one on there called the New Living Translation which is really easy to read, Um, so that's a good place to start. Okay, they say that it takes six weeks to form a habit. Who they are, I don't know, but that's what they say. It takes six weeks to form a habit, and there's six weeks until the Easter holidays, seven weeks until Easter Sunday, so if you started today and you just read a little bit every day, could be a whole chapter or even just one of the little segments, uh, every day you would easily have read the whole of one of Jesus' lives, if not more, by the time we get to Easter. And what a great way to kind of build up to Easter and all that's going on. So why not start today? So that brings us to point number two, tip number two, is to do it regularly. Let it be a part of everyday life. And if you kind of struggle to get down to it, this would be my tip for you. Make a hot drink, a hot drink of your choice. If you don't like hot drinks, make a cold drink. Make a hot drink and then read Read the Bible in the amount of time it takes you to drink that hot drink. And, you know, sometimes you might read a little. Sometimes you might read a lot. It doesn't matter about how much. It's quality, not quantity. Because reading the Bible is an opportunity for us to connect with God. So before you do, just stop. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you encourage me? Would you speak to me? And I'm given this opportunity. just want to spend this time with you. And then you can lead, lead a, a lot or a little. Quantity, not quality. And then some questions you might ask as you read it. If you're reading stories of Jesus' life. Um, think to yourself, what would it have been like to be there? If I was there, what would it have been like if I was amongst the crowd? If I was one of Jesus' followers? What would it have been like if I was there listening to this? And think about... Why did, the, why did the author include this story of all of the things that Jesus did? Why did they think this was an important one to read today and for me to know today? And uh, so those are two questions to start you off. And that brings us to my last point when we're getting into it, is to ask questions. Sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we might not understand it all. And that's okay. You know, the Bible is obviously written in the style and the language of the day it was written in. And so it has a particular style that we're not always used to. And so it raises up questions. Well, what does that mean? What did they mean when they said that? What's that all about? And that's totally okay. It's okay if you don't understand it all at first. And don't let that put you off. And in fact, the authors who have uh, written the Bible, different authors, sometimes they, they actually don't want you to get it all in one go. Part of their style is the Bible is full of depth. And they're like, you know, we're so used to, you know, like when you go to school and everything, we're so used to having being exam based that it's almost like, what's the answer so I can pass the exam? So everything, you know, be like that before. I used to have this great teacher in school who'd been to like Oxford Uni and. He would uh, do his lessons, he, he would have no notes, and he would this was in school here, and he would just like you know, he'd just be talking or whatever, and they were really interesting. But me and my friends would be like, it was really great, but what do we need to know for the exam? Like, tell me the answer for the exam. Have you experienced that before? Anyway. But a good teacher wants to equip you for life after the exam. You know, they know you could sit the exam and know the answer, but it's it's so much more than that. And the Bible. It's not just about trying to get information in our heads, but it's about relationship with God. It draws us into his presence and shapes us. And so the authors, have written. sometimes we, they're inviting us to, to read and reread and to think about it and to wrestle over it and to ask questions. That's totally okay. It's not just trying to know stuff. And that's why it's important. And that's why we take time to explore it together on Sundays where we, you know, we, we give a good 32 minutes of one right now. I was trying to do it in 25, so I'm, I'm struggling. Uh, you know, when we give time to, to unpack it together or in small groups where we get a bit longer to chat it over and mull it over. And I know that, you know, from time to time, after a talk or something, some of the, often the young people, they might message me a question, or they might be reading something, oh, I was reading this, or I heard this, like, what does this mean? Like, what's that important? And I do the same as well. If I come across something, and I'm like, oh, I wonder what that's all about. I'll go and ask someone, and there's plenty of people we can ask and discuss and find out. So don't let that put you off. If you're thinking, oh, I'm not really understanding this, that's good. Keep going, and uh, you will discover more as you go. I said earlier, the Bible Project. That's a great place to go. And if you've been reading the Bible a long time, I'd encourage you to have a look at those videos because it will teach you things that will make reading the Bible really fresh for you and a way you can read things and get things out of it that you hadn't noticed before. So lastly, let me end with this, that God said to his people back in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, he said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give today are to be on your hearts. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. A part of our everyday lives so we can walk in the fruitfulness of God and, the, and His presence. Does that sound good? So, why do I pray and I'll hand back to Chloe. And you can tell me how many tiles there are on the ceiling. Father, I thank you that you are alive today. I thank you that you speak to us through the Bible and that your life and power and presence is in it and we can hear your voice for our lives and see who you are and what you want to do with us and through us to bring your goodness and grace into our world. And so I pray for each one of us as we go from here today and when we take time to read or listen to the Bible. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and encourage us and shape us as we come to you? In Jesus' name, amen.